0: Welcome to Leadership Lessons. I'm Todd Gray, the Executive Director for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Leadership Lessons is a program where we talk to faithful leaders who are making an impact for the gospel. My guest today is Chuck Lewis and our topic is local worship leadership, local church worship leadership. Chuck, thank you for joining Leadership Lessons.
1: You bet, Todd. I am encouraged to be here and it's great to be with your folks in Kentucky. I used to live there for many, many years and a great state, great churches, great worship pastors in the area. Thank you for
0: having me. Jason Stewart says that when you went to Texas, it was a big blow to Kentucky Baptist. It was a great loss oh. to our state. He's, he's a big fan and, and we're glad that, 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 that you're joining us. Let me tell you about Chuck. Chuck Lewis serves as the Associate Dean of the School of Church Music and Worship and Professor of Church Music and Worship at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Prior to his service at Southwestern, Dr. Lewis spent nearly two decades serving the local church in worship ministries, which included choirs of all ages, drama, worship teams, bands, orchestra, pageants, missions, and concert ministries. During this time, he also served in Christian higher education at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville and also Palm Beach Atlantic University. So Dr. Lewis, thank you again for taking the time. Thank you for your ministry to Southern Baptist through Southwestern Seminary. I attended uh, Hurstbourne for a while uh, here in Louisville while you were given worship leadership there and just outstanding leadership. So I'm grateful for you as a person and the place that God has put you. So tell us if you would, how you came to know the Lord and how you knew God was calling you into Christian ministry leadership.
1: Thank you, Todd. I came to know the Lord uh, at the age of 13 in a little tiny country rural church in South Carolina, Fairview Baptist Church. I'm thankful for the faithful witness there of a uh, Fairview Baptist Church and a um, a small country pastor who was faithful to the Lord to share the gospel with me. Um, I, I sensed just a, a, a the Lord moving in my heart that I was lost in desperate need of salvation by grace through faith in jesus christ and i remember um, kneeling in that pastor's office and praying the the sinner's prayer the prayer of repentance and the lord coming into my life giving me new life and um and redemption in christ Uh, after that i was baptized also in that little church and it was in this church where I, i initially Got involved in music. I mm-hmm. uh, started out playing piano in the Sunday school assembly. Well, if you remember those kind of things, so I played for the assembly, uh, for the the children and youth for a while, and I graduated to big church. After that, and I played the organ, organ some and the piano some, but my um, my goal in life really was to be a high school band teacher. And one of the reasons is my high school band teacher, her name was Lorraine Paris. She was a high school teacher, a band teacher at Newberry High School in Newberry, South Carolina, a lot like Mayberry.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And um, Miss Paris was a godly lady. She loved the Lord. And in that day she could pray and read from the Bible in the public schools. And she did very often and she instilled uh, a, a sense of, of value and purpose in those students' lives. And I just, I wanted to be just like her. So I went to school to be a high school band teacher and did actually teach school for three years. And, but after a while, I sensed this growing call in my life to surrender it to full-time ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting thing, though, my perspective about full-time ministry was my little country church. Mm-hmm. And in my little church that I grew up in, you were either a, a preacher or you were a missionary. There was no such thing as a full-time minister of music. And so when I got to college, though, at the First Baptist Church in Columbia, South Carolina, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, it was a Sunday evening, a large service, and the full choir and orchestra were playing and singing. I remember exactly what they sang. They were singing a, a piece called Gospel Favorites Medley. Wow. Um and i just at that moment the lord was gripping my heart saying this is maybe something that you should do that i'm calling you to do and it was a seed that the lord planted that uh, that wouldn't bear fruit for several years but uh, i was working on a graduate degree at florida state university with the full intention of going back to south carolina and teaching high school and the lord said no this is not what you're to do Um, you are to surrender your life to me to full-time vocational ministry um, but I, the seed of that was planted as a college student. It's interesting that summer, uh, before really surrendering my life to ministry, it was a summer of battle really with the Lord. I wanted him to speak and to speak clearly. Yeah. I was willing to be faithful and obedient if he would just speak, but there was a period of time and I will say it this way. Sometimes the Lord, uh, trusts us with his silence, mm-hmm. or maybe I should say the Lord challenges our faith with his silence. And he was silent for a, for, for a couple of months during that time. But at just the right moment, uh, the Lord finally said, this is what I'm calling you to do. And I'm calling you to, um, to surrender your desire to teach public school. Cause I, I loved being a high school band teacher. Right. And it was the thing I most wanted to do. And the Lord was calling me to lay that aside and then to embrace uh, a, a, a call to full-time vocational ministry.
0: So Chuck, you, you had a, a great ministry here in Louisville. You taught at Southern Seminary. You were a worship leader at a, a strong, growing, uh, healthy church. I assume that's what every worship leader would love to ha- have what you had here. And yet you answered a call to go to Southwestern. How did you wrestle through that calling to leave Louisville and, and head to head to Texas? Was that a challenge as well to think that through? You know, the
1: the challenging part about leaving Louisville to go to Texas was leaving the people behind. Um, the great faculty at Southern Seminary, uh, great friends, great partners in the gospel uh, at Southern Seminary, and even more than that, uh, amazing people at Hurstbourne Baptist Church there in Louisville, uh, under the incredible pastoral leadership of Pastor Jeremy Pelham um and and vince and chase and all the guys and pastor jeff all the guys that are there um, that was the hardest thing but the lord sometimes says it's it's time to do something new and the at southwestern the school of church music and worship really needed a new direction it had become in many ways it had become uh, a christian conservatory in the music area as instead of the center of the bullseye being the local church. Mm-hmm. And so Dr. Joe Kreider and I were both called here really to help, uh, just to help give a new direction to the School of Church Music and make sure that the, that the local church ministry um, was the center of our bullseye and that we're training and equipping young men and women to serve the church well.
0: Yeah, thank you for answering that call. So let's talk about worship leadership and worship pastors, you train Folks are going to go and serve in local churches. So what are five important traits for a worship pastor to have, Chuck?
1: Mm. That's a good question, Todd. Thank you. Um, I I could give you like 20. Can I do that? But maybe I won't do 20. I will say probably number one would be humility. Okay. Um, Because we we understand this from the scripture that God sets himself up against the proud. Um, And God does not share his glory with anyone. And for those of us who stand on a stage with a spotlight on us all the time, holding a microphone that amplifies our voice, it is really, really easy uh, for pridefulness to begin to seep into our lives in all kinds of ways. And so I think this, uh, this idea of humility is really, really important. It's a biblical idea, by the way and here's the thing that i think it's important to think about humility and i would encourage uh anyone i encourage my students here don't pray for humility Mm -hmm. that's the wrong prayer Um, because humility is actually a a byproduct and it's a byproduct of an appropriate view of god Mm -hmm. and a corresponding appropriate small view of myself Um, and so I always encourage my students: you need to pray for an appropriate view of God in His greatness, in His holiness, in His bigness, and we will be appropriately downsized. And that humility will begin to be a byproduct of of that particular prayer. And I, and Todd, I'm not talking about being self-deprecating right, either. I've, right. I've heard some false uh, efforts. Uh, maybe I should just say misguided efforts at being humble and. It's not about being self-deprecating. And here's what I think. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's just not thinking of ourselves at all.
0: Yeah.
1: And I just want to say that again. That's so important for worship leaders to remember that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself at all. And I think the second trait would, would right. be this. That the, that's the, the the trait the heart of a shepherd um And when we think about Christ's example for us, and we see this in Philippians 2, the the, the heart of that good shepherd, the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And the shepherd takes care of feeding the sheep. So you think about Jesus's interaction with with Peter. So Mm -hmm. this is, I believe, post-resurrection. I believe they're having breakfast on the beach. And Christ and Peter are, are talking with one another. And and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, I do love you, Lord. And what does Jesus say? Feed my sheep mm-hmm. over and over again. Feed my sheep. Yeah. You know, I love you. Feed my sheep. And that is an, such an important part of who we are as worship leaders. And, and here's what I think, Todd. We can either lead songs or we can lead people. And that's two different ways of thinking about the role of that that lead person on Sunday morning. I can either lead songs or I can lead people. And if I'm leading people, the heart of a shepherd is so important as a part of that leadership.
0: So so Jack, um, what, I'm thinking about one of the worship leaders that I know, one of my favorite worship leader. and man, he has a shepherd's heart. Uh, The the choir that he leads and the worship ministry that he leads, those folks are being pastored not only by their senior pastor, but also by by their worship pastor. So you've described humility as an important trait, the heart of a shepherd. What's number three on your list? So number three would be a
1: portrait painter. Oh, wow. Just say that, okay? A portrait painter. So, a portrait tells stories, right? Uh-huh. It's, it, it's a picture, and our worship services, I believe, are constantly telling the story of God, constantly telling the story of redemption, constantly retelling the story of the gospel. And, We're telling the story of God in and through our lyrics and in our prayers and very specifically in our transition statements. And I believe that every worship service has something to say about God, about who he is. And every worship service has something to say about who we are as children of God. And every worship service has something to say about what God is doing to redeem the world. And I think the big question I have to ask myself when I look at, let's say, a year's of worship services? Um, Am I painting a complete picture of God or just the parts of God that I'm comfortable with? Mm. Um, But my role as a portrait painter, I think, is incredibly important. We can go on and think about a liturgical architect and um, gosh, back when I was in my younger days, liturgy was a bad word, or it was something reserved for a wing of the church that we really didn't want to have anything to do with. But when I use the word liturgy, I'm just talking about a worship service. Mm-hmm. And in the in the Baptist world, we often get to start with a blank sheet of paper. Now, it may have to have announcements mm-hmm. here and there. It That's may right. have to have, you know, it has some offerings and some things that are built into it. But by and large, it's a blank sheet of paper, and so. We get to seek the heart of the Lord on how we develop this worship service, and one of the things that we've been trying here is scripture-guided worship, and it's been pioneered by our dean, Dr. Joe Kreider. He's even got a book out now talking about scripture-guided worship, um, but it gives some it gives some bones on, on which to develop and create this um, this service of worship Sunday by Sunday. And this is what I think about when I'm a liturgical architect, that that every song, every good song is a lesson in theology. Uh, I've even heard, I think, Matt Boswell say, this is like common man systematic theology Mm -hmm. embodied in a song. And so this idea, along with liturgical architect, would be to be a curator. Um, I'm selecting these songs uh, that I'm going to you know, the congregations trust us so much. Mm -hmm. They trust the worship leaders Sunday by Sunday for me to put in their mouths the words of worship that they're gonna offer in this amazing conversation with the Lord where He speaks and we respond. And and so in this, this idea of worship leaders as liturgical architects, it's important to be thinking about biblical contours, and logical flows and logical sequence. And to always remember that worship has something to say and a a place to go. And the intentionality of that is really important for worship leaders. Um, so I, just
0: to, it, I love the idea of what you're describing there. The portrait painter is the worship leader is, is giving us a picture of who God is and what he's like, not ignoring those parts that we wouldn't naturally think about, but even bringing those in as well. And then the liturgical architect is number four. What's what's your fifth one, Chuck? What else is on your list? <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to combine highlighter and teacher okay. in the same, Okay.
1: So a highlighter introduces and frames the truth of what's about to be sung, And that's again, that's a difference in somebody who's just a song leader or somebody who's leading people, because when you're leading people, you want to highlight a concept that from time to time, at least maybe not in every song, but from time to time, highlight a concept. What, is, what does it mean when we sing, see the new and better Adam? What what is that theologically? And and worship leaders have to speak in sound bites. You know, we, mm-hmm. we might get 45 seconds to 60 seconds on a Sunday morning. Uh, some worship leaders might go a little bit longer, but typically uh it, what I'm comfortable with is that we speak in in important, uh crafted sound bites that help to introduce a song or to frame a song or to give this song its scriptural foundation, which suddenly makes the meaning of the song become deeper and wider and enables our congregation to respond to the truth in that song in a way they might it might would have just went right over
0: their head so chuck um, give us an example if you would take a song that we all know amazing grace or something and just take that that 15 or 30 seconds and frame it you're about to lead us to into this song if you could just give us an example of what what you're describing there
1: well, sure. Like one of the things that we'll take "Amazing Grace" for example. How many times have people sung "Amazing Grace"? How sweet the sound, and really have not thought about grace. And there have been times that I've, I've contrasted both grace and mercy. And grace when God gives us something that we don't deserve, and mercy when He withholds from us something that we do deserve. And you know the acronym "God's riches at Christ's expense." Mm-hmm. All of those things I think help. Help our congregation's mind and heart to be more in tune with the truth that they they are singing. How about the last uh, stanza of when I survey the wonders oh, cross? Yeah. yeah. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, love divine, demands my soul, my life, my all how many times did i sing that and i just sang it and didn't really realize what i'm singing and that's the interesting part about poetry uh you know it says profound things in a poetic way and i don't know how you were in your english class back in the day in high school but it, at that stage of my life i didn't like the poetry part i didn't always understand it but and, When I took time to unpack, were the whole realm of nature my, meaning if if I had the the entire world to offer to the Lord, that were a present far too small. That that would be a gift to the Lord in comparison to his great gift that he has given me. And what was that great gift? Love so amazing and so divine. And instead of a gift of stuff, instead I give my, my, my soul, my life, my all to the Lord in response to his amazing gift of life that he's given to me. And so to take that and unpack it suddenly brings life, uh, or new life, maybe to a song that has become commonplace to our church
0: members. So, Chuck, you're training leaders, worship leaders, and you have, you have the, the leader on this side who really doesn't want to use any words at all. They just want to go do the job and lead the songs. You have the other guy who's really more of a teacher heart, and he wants to take a, lo- a long time to unpack some of these songs. How do, you help, uh, how do you help those students kind of find that happy spot, that, that good balance that is effective and important without uh, going too far on the, the speaking part?
1: Sure. You know, I, I really tell my students, you need to keep it around 60 seconds, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe 90 seconds on a good day. But the, the other thing is that you can actually say an awful lot in 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. If you, if you're intentional about it, if you're trying to off the cuff, do this, then you're likely to go two, three, four minutes. You likely are, you're going to have a hard time landing the plane. Um, and you may ramble on and on and on, but if you carefully craft your words and select your words, you can say a lot in 60 seconds that will serve your congregation well.
0: So, Chuck, you work closely with pastors. You've worked with pastors as a worship leader and then in your, your role now as well. What's something that every worship leader wishes, wishes their pastor understood about them or about their role? <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> That's a great question Todd.
1: If if you'll allow me a, a little bit, I'm going to I'm going to approach the question a little bit differently.
0: Sure, absolutely.
1: So, one of uh one of my dearest pastor friends in Florida shared this with me one time. He said, "You know, Chuck, one of the things that I do each year I have a little retreat. I get together with some other pastors in the area and one of the things that is the topic of conversation is how much we struggle with or don't get along with our worship pastors. Mm-hmm. And that that just broke my heart. Yeah. Uh that that is the common challenge and even here in my church here in in Fort Worth I was sharing some thoughts with my senior pastor here about the challenge between, uh, the worship pastors, senior pastors and the worship pastors. And he said, yeah, that's about right. Mm -hmm. He said, I have been doing ministry for 30 years. The only worship pastor I've really ever gotten along with was was Tim and all of the others have been really, really challenging. Mm -hmm. And so, um, And as a matter of fact, last week we do a a thing called Colloquium here. It's a gathering of all of our Masters of Music and Worship Leadership students and all of our Bachelor of Music and Worship Study students. We get everybody in the same room together. And we were actually talking about this very issue. And what I told them is this, you can't change your senior pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't even try. You shouldn't even try. He, by God's grace, he is who he is. Oftentimes, he'll be a type A kind mm-hmm. of person. There's, sometimes you'll have micromanaging pastors. Sometimes you'll you'll have hands-off kinds of pastors, but you can't change him. What you are called to do is to serve your senior pastor, mm-hmm. and you serve the Lord by honoring your authority, and your senior pastor is the authority in your life, and when he asks you to do something, your answer if it's not illegal or immoral, your answer needs to be yes. Yeah. And not just yes, grumble, but yes, joyful. Yes, joyfully. Yeah. Um, and But our, our worship leader temperaments, we're so sensitive, you yeah. know? And when a pastor asks us to cut this song, uh, or change the song. Our first response is, but I've been praying and I've been seeking the right, Lord and the right. Holy Spirit's been guiding me and and preparing this service of worship, and it's perfect the way it is. Mm. And so please don't ask me to change it. <laughs> yeah. you know that's that's our first you know response in, in our heart, but our our first response really needs to be, yes, yes, Pastor, whatever you whatever you would like for me to do, yes. And then I would say um, to to make a decision that you're going to love your pastor even when he does or says something that's hurtful, oh, yeah. because a, as you know, Todd, when you're in relationship with somebody over a long period of time, right? I'm I'm going to say or, or say or do something that's going to hurt you, just
0: it and offend you. It's
1: part you. of that, being human, right? That is part of being human and part of being in a relationship, and and a part of that is to to forgive even when maybe that person doesn't deserve it and or even forgive when they haven't asked for it um but i think worship leaders should not expect senior pastors to understand our artistic
0: sensitivities (laughs) so chuck let's let's take this the other side just a little bit so so helpful man if 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 worship leaders are getting what you're saying they're 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 going to be in a much better position but but now let's say you have a room full of pastors and they're saying chuck I, I want to work well with my worship leader mm-hmm. I, I want to man I want to shepherd him and be a brother to him um what's something that I should know that'll make this relationship better what, what would you say yeah. to the group of pastors
1: So Todd thank you for that I would say the first thing is that leading from the second chair is is difficult Yeah
0: um
1: and part of of how worship leaders are or wired is that leader is in the name, which means, you know, I'm wired to take initiative. I'm wired to be visionary. You know, I'm wired to to to, to move large groups of people from point A to point Z. This is just part of my DNA and so leading from the second chair really is difficult not impossible but hard and that's what you're probably many of your worship leaders are going to struggle with that um, the other thing would be worship leaders tend to be uh, more relational than senior pastors hmm. and just force senior pastors maybe to take the initiative and in growing and developing that relationship uh, outside of the church and maybe that's a once a week coffee or once a week lunch or something like that um, and then the third thing would be that oftentimes we're evaluated on expectations that are uns, unspoken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes the uh, the target is moving. So I would just be clear in the expectations and how things are going to be evaluated. Communication, of course, in any relationship is really, really important.
0: I, I downloaded an article from uh, Bob Coughlin, 11 Things Worship Pastors Wish Their Senior Pastors Knew." And one of those was, I would rather know you as a pastor and friend than a manager or supervisor. So that's hitting on the relationship side. The His follow-up, Chuck, was what pastors wish their worship leaders knew. Here's what's interesting. I printed the article off without putting any boundaries on the print. Yeah. And so there were 91 responses i mean i have a i have a pile of paper here there were 91 responses to the article of what pastors wish their worship leaders do so this is obviously an area of controversy and uh, thinking through but you're giving some real helpful tips let me ask you this question when it comes to song selection especially Mm -hmm. pastors and worship leaders working together how do you navigate those tricky waters? And if you want to throw in there, sometimes there's a song that's biblically, theologically solid, but the source that it comes from may be a little questionable or a lot sure. questionable. How do you how do you handle that as as well? Right.
1: So song selection, I think, is really important. I do think it needs to be a collaborative effort first. Um, not first, but a collaborative effort between your senior pastor and your worship leader to answer this question. What is what are the catalog of songs that we want to implant and instill in the hearts and minds of our congregation forever? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's think about it. Let's say we decide there's 50 songs that we want our congregation to be singing regularly. Is that a good 30 number? Of
0: those, is, is that a good number by the way? Is fifty a good number? I would say thirty to fifty. Okay. Thirty to fifty. Thirty
1: of those would need to be songs like Be thou my vision, and holy, 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 and when I survey the wondrous cross, and in Christ alone, those kinds of things. So those are like the, the foundational kinds of things that are making up. These are the never changers, the never changing songs that we're going to be singing all the time and singing regularly. The other 20, though, need to be songs that I would say have a shelf life. They come and they go, a mixture of new songs and newer songs. I do believe new songs. Have, the Lord says we're to sing a new mm-hmm. song. That's right. And so I remember when we first sang in my church, shout to the Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought we would sing that song forever. And maybe you're still singing it in your church, but mm-hmm. in my church, that song had a shelf life of about, I don't know, five to seven years, longer than normal, but they would never sing Shout to the Lord. Now, 10,000 Reasons is another one. Mm-hmm. Or new songs like The Goodness of God or the Getty, uh, the whole mm-hmm. Getty catalog, Christ, Our Hope and Life and Death. Uh, the Shane's put out a lot of great stuff, Um Matt's Matt Papa and Matt Boswell those guys City of Lights is putting out some great stuff so I think that these 20 songs need to be rotating in and out and I would only do probably one new in a month I think worship leaders can program too many new things uh, it takes time to get a song into the mind and, and in the heart and I think we should allow that time but you ask a very important question yeah. um, and basically Here's what it boils down to when I pick songs. Uh the primary the primary category is are they theologically biblically faithful and Christ honoring. Mm-hmm. And then you could have a song that's biblically faithful and Christ honoring being produced by a movement that is imperfect mm-hmm. uh, or that is theologically either imprecise or uh, just out in left field somewhere where they shouldn't be. Right. I've, I've gone back and forth on this. Um, my current state of where I am now personally is that I think songs need to be evaluated on their content only. Um, the movement that they come from or, every song every song that i I share with you be thou my vision holy 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 when i survey the wondrous cross all of these come from the hearts and pens of imperfect people and the hearts and pens of of people whose theology was errant or flawed in some way when i write a song i would love to say that my theology is perfect Um, but there is no human on the planet that has it all together theologically perfectly. And so, um, it, that would be kind of where I would land on that. Evaluate the song and its content and not where, uh, not where it originates from. Ultimately, all God, all truth is God's truth. And if it's captured well in the song, then I I'm fine with the church singing that. I know I've got some brothers and sisters out there that sure. may disagree with me on that. And and here at the seminary, we we don't take that stand. We actually take a different stand. There are some uh, some movements uh, out there that we would say have gone too far uh, theologically off the rails. And so we have made a choice here at the seminary. Uh, there's plenty of other great other songs to sing, and that's what we're going to do. Um, so- but if, if I am in... Arizona or Arkansas or South Carolina, I am probably going to sing a a song that may be heaven from um, or the hymn of heaven by Phil Wickham that is also undergirded by a movement that I won't say here right now. Uh, But it's in the copyright that I would say that part is questionable. But the song is amazing. Um, The same thing I would say about Ah, uh, the goodness of God! Amazing song.
0: Well, you're just you're just helping us think about the challenges that are related to ministry in general, and and we need good relationships with people. We need uh, sound doctrine. To think through all these matters together. So, Chuck, we have more questions than we have time. But so let me. This is this platform is called Leadership Lessons. Let me ask a leadership question. Has there been a story or an experience in in your life that has shaped your understanding of Christian leadership or your personal approach to being a leader?
1: Yeah. Todd, thanks for that that question. I would say uh, that person would be Pastor Jimmy Scroggins at the First Baptist Church in West Palm Beach. Uh, mm-hmm. Jimmy arrived on the scene after five years of interim. Oh, so we the first year of interim, everybody was fine, but once you go into the second, third, fourth, and fifth year of interim, uh, your church really begins to struggle. And Pastor Jimmy came on the scene. I have never served with anyone who is more, number one, um, honest, full of integrity, character and vision than him. Hmm. And his personal support of me, both on the platform as well as behind the scenes, I've never worked with a pastor like that. But I saw him come in, love the people, uh, build trust and have a huge and big vision. I'll never forget our first pastor's meeting retreat he looked at us and said here's what we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna plant 100 neighborhood churches in the next 20 years and we all looked at him that is impossible Um, but he had a big vision and he serves a big God and they are well on their way to significantly impacting the churches in South Florida. But I, I appreciate that he came in with a level of integrity and holiness. And I would say, Todd, if I could close out in this way, um, and Jimmy modeled this in so many ways that what our congregations most need from us is our personal holiness, our personal walk with the Lord. Um, There is there is nothing more important than that. We know that sin, sin splatters all over everything and everybody. But the converse is true. Also, righteousness and holiness also um, splatters over everything and everybody in a good way and prayerfully spurs uh, our congregation on to loving good deeds. And more than that, to love the Lord passionately and more deeply every day of their lives.
0: Chuck, if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the easiest way to reach you?
1: Easiest way would be my email here at Southwestern Seminary, and that's C, as in Chuck Lewis, L E W I S, at and it's the initials of the seminary at swibits swbts dot edu. So one more time, that's C Lewis at swbts dot edu. I would love to hear. From the folks in Kentucky or anybody that is out there thinking about things, about worship and leadership, it would be a great honor to connect with your folks who are listening today.
0: Chuck, thank you for your ministry at Southwestern. Thank you for investing in worship leaders, those who will are currently serving in churches and those who will go and serve. And thank you for taking the time to join Leadership Lessons. Thank you, Todd. And hello to Bubba out there. <laughs> Listen, Jason said to ask you about uh, Clyde the camel, but we didn't get to that. Maybe, Maybe next time. Next time, we'll talk about camels and pageants. Thanks for listening to Leadership Lessons. This program is made possible by the generous contributions by Kentucky Baptist through the cooperative program. For more information about the Kentucky Baptist Convention, go to kybaptist.org. And for news about how Kentucky Baptist churches are making a difference, go to kentuckytoday.com.